This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Retirement plans, like many other asset plans, have had a rocky ride in 2020. COVID-19 and the resulting market volatility have been disruptive both for defined benefit and defined contribution plans. Today, we'll examine what the impact has been this year and what retirement investors should be thinking about going forward. To discuss this and more is Mike Moran, a pension strategist in Goldman Sachs Asset Management, or GSAM as we call it. Welcome back to the program, Mike. Thanks for having me, Jake. So obviously, it's been an interesting year. How have the events of 2020 had an impact on various defined benefit and defined contribution pension plans for investors? Well, like all investors, 2020 has been a bit of a wild ride for retirement plan investors. And I would just say that while the volatility at times has been disconcerting, it is important to keep in mind that these are long-term investors. They have pools of capital on the defined benefit side that will be paid out over many decades. Many defined contribution participants are funding retirements that will last, again, a very long period of time. So in many ways, they can have the benefit of looking past the short-term results and short-term volatility of 2020. Now, having said that, it has certainly been a challenging year. When we look at defined benefit pension plans and we look at their funded levels, which is basically the ratio of their plan assets to plan liabilities, many defined benefit plans, in particular in the corporate space, have seen those funded levels drop this year. And a lot of that is due to the low interest rate environment. When we look at defined contribution plans and we look at participants in those plans, Obviously, every defined contribution participant is going to have a different asset allocation. It's self-directed. But if we just look at target date funds, for example, as a proxy for defined contribution results, through the first three quarters of the year, they've been up, let's call it, you know, low single digits. So the good news is they've been positive. The bad news is it's only modest returns. So 2020 has been challenging for both of these types of plans, defined benefits and defined contribution. I think what's probably even more challenging for many of them is going to be the outlook going forward, as it looks like low interest rates are going to be here for a while. And we're probably entering a period of low returns across a wide variety of asset classes. Let's talk a little bit about defined benefit plans. You referenced this, but equity markets are back and they've recovered. And at the end of third quarter, close to all-time highs. So why would defined benefit plans still have a decline in their funded ratios, and how does that work? Sure. So I'd really highlight two reasons, and they both really relate to the liability side of the equation. When you have long-term liabilities, low interest rates are not your friend. So when you think about corporate pension plans, the way they value their liabilities is based on market interest rates. So as interest rates have fallen this year, that has increased the value of their liabilities, and that's had a depressing effect on their funded ratios. Now, public pension plans value their liabilities differently. They don't generally use market interest rates. They use what's referred to as the long-term expected return on their plan assets, basically looking at their diversified portfolio, what they think on average that's going to earn in the long term. Well, even though it's not marked to market every day, but those assumptions have been coming down primarily due to or partially attributable to the low interest rate environment. So again, as those investors bring down that long-term return assumption, it has an upward effect on liabilities and that helps to depress funded ratios. The other issue that many of these plans are dealing with in the defined benefit space is they are many of them are cash flow negative. And what I mean by that is the money going out to pay benefit payments is higher than the money coming in from contributions. Now, just to be clear here, 
that's not a bad thing that they're paying benefit payments. That's what the assets are there for. They're not there to grow in perpetuity. They're there to pay participants. But when you pay out a dollar of benefit payments, your assets and liabilities go down by the same amount. So your dollar deficit doesn't change. But if you're underfunded, as many of these plans are today, your percentage funded ratio tends to fall. And so these are both related to more of the liability side of the equation. But a lot of this comes back to that in the long term, this may lead some you know, sponsors of these plans, whether they be corporations or governmental entities, to think about do they need to increase contributions going forward, which again could be problematic for some sponsors given the difficult economic environment we're in. Yeah, and especially with the outlook for interest rates being as depressed as it is for a long period of time. How do defined benefit investors respond to the market environment in 2020? I mean, these are long-term investors, but you know, given the drop they saw in funded levels year to date. Have they made any changes to their portfolios to sort of offset that? I'd highlight three things, Jake. And the one thing that basically every pension plan did, or most of them did back in the spring, was rebalance their portfolio, right? Equities had sold off. So many plans were underweight equities in relation to their strategic targets. So they were basically buying equities to get back to strategic targets. That's a prudent risk management tool and obviously worked out quite well given the rebound in equity markets. The second thing that some of these plans did was really look under the hood within side different asset classes. So for example, within their fixed income allocation, given that credit spreads had widened out during the pandemic period of March and April, and given that interest rates or treasury rates had fallen, many of them started to reposition their fixed income portfolios, adding more credit, taking out a little bit of rates exposure. And they were certainly doing things like that within other asset classes as well, kind of getting under the hood and seeing how to reposition within each of those asset classes. And then third, to the extent their governance model allowed them to do it, many of them looked at opportunistic strategies, whether that be distressed debt or some other opportunity to be tactical and take advantage of some of the dislocations in the market. Now, some plans are not set up to end with a governance structure to kind of take advantage of that, but some are. And I think those that did probably look back at it as a good move. So as we look forward to the next year, hopefully a more normal year, but who's to say, What are the plans thinking about for next year's environment? So I think, again, I would highlight three different things that are probably on their radar screen. Number one comes back to something we've talked about already, which is how do I achieve my long-term expected return on asset target in what will likely be a low return environment? Many of these plans in the defined benefit space, whether they're corporates or publics, have lowered that assumption in recent years, but many of them still maintain assumptions of a nominal return target of around 6 to 8%. So how to achieve that when 10-year treasuries are around 70 basis points, when equities are close to all-time highs, how are you actually going to achieve that return target in what will likely be a low return environment? The second thing comes back to contribution policy. Given the fact that for some plans, funded levels have fallen this year, they may be thinking about what's the right contribution policy going forward, in particular, given for whether you're a corporate or a governmental sponsor, your revenues may be down this year, given the economic environment. It's obviously been a difficult year for many sponsors of these plans from their business perspective. And then third, I would say is how to think about managing distributions. And this comes back to what we talked about earlier about being cash flow negative. As these plans mature, and as more participants are in payment mode, the dollars going out the door start to increase. And again, That's what the assets are there for, is to pay benefit payments. But as a long-term investor, how do you manage the rest of your portfolio when your assets are being depleted through these distributions? That's a challenge for a lot of organizations as they think about, especially if they're looking to enhance that return assumption, potentially going into more illiquid asset classes. 
So I'd say there's a lot on their agenda right now. And a lot of it comes back to how are they going to navigate their markets and their own plans. So on the defined benefit side, you have professionals, market professionals, investment professionals making these decisions. On the individual side, has it looked any different? Have individuals and the defined contribution and 401k plans, how have they done this year? So I'd say in general, there's, as usual, there's wide dispersion in results. But if I look again at target date funds and think about that as a proxy for returns in that market, you're seeing many defined contribution participants with low single digit returns, which is obviously better than a loss but probably below what they targeted as a return for the year. I say another challenge for defined contribution participants comes back to the economic environment and what it may mean for their earnings generation ability in 2020, and therefore their ability to save into these plans. We all know that a key part for participants in defined contribution plans in terms of generating a retirement pool is to continue and consistently save. Well, if you have to cut back on that saving to the defined contribution plan because of what's going on in the economic environment, that may be a challenge in terms of your ability to grow that assets going forward. The other thing that I would just point out in terms of defined contribution plans, and this isn't really necessarily specific to 2020 or COVID, but increasingly there's more demand for participants to have some sort of retirement income solution. When you think about defined contribution plans, the majority of those assets are controlled by participants over the age of 50, which is probably not surprising. If I'm a 25-year-old, I've just started my career, I may be in a defined contribution plan, but I haven't really saved enough yet. I'm at the lower end of the saving spectrum. If I'm an older participant, I've saved, I've invested, I've had compounded returns, and now you have to start to figure out, well, how do I actually translate that into a retirement income, like potentially I used to get into the defined benefit program. So I think from 2020 perspective for defined contribution plans and participants, it's been a challenging year. And again, some of that has to do with what's going on in the markets, but some of it has to also do with their own personal situations. So Mike, as you talk about the defined contribution space, you've referenced a couple of times target date funds, which are a relatively new phenomenon. Give us a sense of how those have grown over time and what's the scale of that relative to the rest of the market. Well, when we think about target date funds, they have grown a lot over the last decade or so. And now target date funds within 401k plans account for over 30% of plan assets. And when we look at contributions from participants, that gets the lion's share of contributions is to target date funds today, whether they're a qualified default option or not. Individual investors are notorious for trying to time the market, chase performance, often selling at lows and buying at highs. But you see many making changes like that in their 401k plans, trading in and out of positions? So when we looked at reports from record keeper activity this year, I would say the vast majority of participants really didn't do anything. And that's probably a good thing, because to your point, Jake, typically in the past, sometimes you've seen these participants whip around their portfolios trading in and out. So I think for some cases, not doing anything was probably the right answer. Why did the vast majority of them maybe not do anything? I think a lot of that has to do with the growth of target date funds and managed accounts over the past you know, 10 to 15 years. And when you have a target date fund or a managed account, you have a diversified portfolio. It's professionally managed. It's rebalanced as appropriate. So as a participant, I don't really feel the need. I have to actually do anything because that's being done for me. Where we did see changes, when we did see participants maybe moving money around, it tended to be more with those who are self-directed. So they're not in a target date fund or a managed account. They're picking their own investments. And probably not surprisingly, during the first quarter and into the second quarter, you tended to see the activity there be selling out of equities, 
and going into capital preservation options like stable value and money market. Probably not surprising. That's what tends to happen when you see periods of volatility. What's interesting, and our team has done some work on this, is what has happened since then? As markets recovered, did these participants go back into equities? And the answer was generally no. And when we look at history, we find that as well. They tend to, once they kind of come out of equities and maybe go to stable value or money market, they may go back into a fixed income option, but not necessarily into equities. And again, that may be a recognition by some that they may have just had too much equity risk in their portfolio to begin with. It comes back to the vast majority of these assets are controlled by older participants who are either in retirement, thinking about retirement, or getting ready to retire. And therefore, a lot of times when you have these periods of volatility, they may be selling out of equities going into a capital preservation option. When the markets settle down, they may not necessarily go back into equities because they may have had that realization that they had too much risk in their portfolio to begin with. Fascinating. The uh, upcoming U.S. presidential election could introduce even more volatility in equity markets and, and perhaps fixed income markets as well. How should retirement plan investors take this into consideration as they're thinking about asset allocation and their, their investment strategies? I would come back again to the point that these are long-term investors. They spend a tremendous amount of time, especially in the defined benefit side, thinking about their strategic asset allocation, which we all know is the biggest driver of returns in the long run. So while there may be increased volatility over the next few weeks and months, I think it's important for these investors to keep in mind, we don't want to have short-term volatility getting us aware, distracting us from the long-term strategy that we put in place and that we spent a lot of time developing. However, it could be a good opportunity for some investors, and particularly individual investors, to once again re-examine their tolerance for risk. And that comes back to, we saw in the March-April time period, some defined contribution participants getting out of equities, going into capital preservation options. They may have had that realization at the time, hey, I have too much risk in my portfolio, maybe given on my own personal circumstances. Maybe I'm only a year or two away from retirement and I can't withstand that volatility. So given that we may be entering a period of increased volatility across different asset classes, it may be prudent for some individual investors to once again, really take a hard look at how much risk they really want to have in their portfolio and maybe make some adjustments appropriately. So big picture, what are the key takeaways for uh, retirement plan investors, both on, on both sides of the DB and DC side? So I'm going to give you five, Jake, which I know is a lot, but there's a lot to unpack here. And a lot of this we've already discussed. So the first thing I would just say is, again, let's keep in mind, these are long-term pools of assets. Short-term volatility can be disconcerting, but these plans have long time horizons and you want to kind of stick with that long-term plan that's been put in place. However, number two, second, it should be an opportunity to potentially re-examine risk tolerance, in particular for individual investors. But even on the defined benefit side, professional investors, we've worked with a lot of clients, especially on the corporate side, where the plan is well-funded, maybe closed and frozen. It's not accruing new benefits for its participants. There may not be a need to take that much risk in the portfolio. And therefore, this is a good time to maybe re-examine that strategic asset allocation and investment strategy. Third, governments, corporations, and individuals may need to reset expectations around how much they're going to have to contribute and save into these plans in the coming years. And some may find that they need to increase their contributions in order to adequately fund these long-term liabilities, given not just what's happened in 2020 with markets and potentially with the funded levels, especially on the defined benefit side going lower, but also thinking forward and what am I actually going to earn on my portfolio going forward, the reality that it may be less than what we've earned in the past. So fourth, then, is that given expectations that forward-looking returns may be below historical returns, 
all investors may need to rethink their asset allocation and investment strategy. If we think about a standard 60-40 index portfolio, it's likely in the foreseeable future that may only yield nominal returns of around 4 to 5%. So investors either need to accept those returns or consider other strategies in an attempt to achieve higher returns. And this could involve the use of more private assets and alternatives, or perhaps re-examining where employing active management may make sense for certain asset classes. And then finally, I would just say demographic changes and the aging of America means that many of these plans are in distribution mode as outflows increase for defined benefit plan payments and with individuals withdrawal from defined contribution plans to fund their own retirements. So how to manage these outflows will take on increased importance, in particular within defined contribution plans, as many participants seek retirement income solutions that will allow them to convert their 401k and defined contribution savings into a lifetime income stream. All right. Well, Mike, that's a lot of ground, but you covered it quickly. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jake. That concludes this episode of Exchanges Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. And please tune in later this week for our weekly markets update, where leaders around the firm provide a quick take on the latest in markets. This podcast was recorded on Friday, October 2nd in the year 2020. Thank you for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.